uh, actually uh, a scripture that comes out of the Book of Mormon. I think it's in 2 Nephi 2, chapter 2, verse 11. And that's uh, where it says uh, that all things are a compound in one. This, this, I think, is a very intriguing concept, and it's stated by the prophet Lehi, it's, it's supposedly. I understand there's an argument about whether Lehi actually existed in that, but getting past that, out of the mouth of the prophet Lehi, as reported by his son Nephi, Lehi teaches this idea that um, all things are a compound in one. Another way he says it is that there must needs be opposition in all things rather than to all things. And I, it, it struck me a long time ago that this was a very profound philosophical observation, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this session. So, Margaret? Well, and of course, in the world that we live in today, a lot of people have an objection to this idea of an opposition uh, in all things, or even to all things, because they believe that the notion of duality or polarity is a dangerous idea. It leads to oversimplification of um, this kind of duality of good versus evil, male versus female, so that you have you know, these kind of stark, simplistic dichotomies. So there's a lot of the objection to it in our current world, especially you know, in the intellectual communities. So I guess we also want to talk about what is it that's compelling in this, and how can it be something other than this kind of simple black and white picture that people often think what you, this is what you mean if you're talking about dualities, this opposition. Well, one, one, one way in which it's compelling to me, although I may be dead wrong about it, is that uh, <laughs> if Lehi is speaking out of uh, a culture that existed in 600 BC, it was around the same time as Zoroastrianism was flourishing in that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, what little I know about the Zoroastrian religion is that it posited uh, a cosmology where there was God and good on one side and the devil and bad on the other. And these were two eternal uh, realms or two eternal principles that were in constant conflict. And uh, that would be a concept of opposition to all things. But what this scripture is talking about is uh, uh, opposition in all things. Uh, or every, everything that you defined as a thing, you can define as a thing, whether it's a tree or a person or, you know, a philosophical concept, uh, whatever you can be defined as a thing has inherent in it um, an opposition. There, it's, a, it's consisting of complementary opposites, which is a little different from rival opposites. So I think it's important to see this as perhaps uh, a statement that's being made uh, 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 that deepens the idea of that good and evil are in conflict. It's the idea that within each thing there's a tension. Well, if we look at it sort of as a larger principle of the nature of reality, and I'm not sure I know how a tree is a compound in one, but I don't know how you would define that. But I certainly think that if we look around us in the physical world, that there are these, these dualities or these opposites. If you think about like light and dark and in just like day and night, right? You have day, you have night, that's part of the world that we live in. We have, our, our bodies themselves are made up of pairs, right? We have a right and left hand and legs 
And in fact, almost every part of the body has this compound. You know, we have two lips, nostrils, uh, even organs of the body have that sort of um, bilateral. bilateral, you know, structure to them. Or if you look at the magnetic field, the notion that you have a positive and negative char charge, um, there are all kinds of examples of this. I mean, you can look at computers. Computers are run on the basis of uh, on and off switches, mm -hmm. which can get very complicated. And I think that's important too. The notion that something that seems so simple, on and off switches or the binomial number system, I think it's also connected to computers, that it can go into such complex patterns. Mm -hmm. So there are examples you know, whether or not you could say this is true in everything. Certainly how we perceive ourselves as humans, the, I think one of the, the really strong, you know, tensions of duality is the notion that we have an inside and an outside, that we have an interiority versus our exteriority. Maybe that's just perception, but it's an important perception. Mm -hmm. I think it's a it's a controlling perception in some ways. Right. Well, when I said about the tree, it's an amusing. Well, it has an inside and an outside, and it That's has true. it has those elements of the tree that that produce the nourishment of the tree, and those other elements of the tree that produce its structure. There, there are different ways that you can define a compound in one, but but the, the ones that you were talking about, light and dark, male and female. Uh, I think one of the problems with uh, there are two problems that I see with this uh, this idea of polarities, uh, and I, I may be repeating just what you said, but one is that the polarities themselves, which exist in nature, could be used metaphorically to denigrate one of the one of the poles. Like if you have male and female, which obviously exist in nature, um, they yet the female has been associated with material matter in the lower world and the male with the spiritual world, the rational world, the higher world, that metaphorical use of something that's real seems to be to be an unnecessary cultural uh, byproduct that's been, you're taking something that's real and, and using it in a way that I think is not very useful by denigrating the female side. but but. It, that's not necessary. That is not a necessary result of recognizing it. So that's one problem. The other problem I see is that these polarities are not necessarily the only um, realities. In other words, they, they define uh, a whole spectrum of realities be, between night and day. There's twilight and dawn and all kinds of play of light and shadow uh, in the clouds and sky and in the sea and on the land. Uh, that we've observed between night and day. And I think that sometimes our emphasis on the polarities uh, between the North and South Pole, the whole of the world exists between those polarities. So uh, I, I think just focusing on the elements uh, of, the, of, the, of the polarity themselves sometimes obscures the, the, the whole range of spectrum between them. Yes, and of course, uh, in the last 40 years in, uh, in the academy, there has been a move towards seeing polarities uh, or you know, opposites as a, in, as a real uh, problem that is not natural, but is simply a construction that has led to several problems in human cultures. And you've really t talked about a couple of them. I mean, I would restate them 
uh, in the sense of that it can lead to a false picture where we don't see um, the likenesses between things. So if you know we talk about male and female as being opposite, we emphasize that, you know, maybe bodily parts versus common humanity, which then of course the big problem with that is as you said, it can lead to preference of one thing over another. It can lead to to these hierarchies. Um, another problem is the notion that it does lead to oversimplification, that you start, you know, you create this construct that then begins to shape your reality rather than looking at the complexity of things. And in, especially in terms of gender, that can lead to stereotypes, you know, so that you say, well, to be masculine is A, B, and C, to be feminine is this, as though this is some kind of reality rather than simply, you know, structures that have developed over time and culture. And so there's a real resistance to the idea of polarity because it does seem to, to lead to sort of black and white thinking that has real political ramifications in terms of how we think about people, heterosexual, homosexual, you know, privileging one or thinking that one is normal and the other one isn't. So, you know, I, that's the resistance I think that a lot of people have to the idea of polarities now is that they end up being these oversimplifications that are used for power and control. Uh, rather than honoring the diversity of human society. Exactly. I mean, in Strangers in Paradox, which is a book we wrote back in 1990 together, we, we try to show how these polarities are, there are some of them that are um, complementary, like male and female, light and darkness, um, and maybe even pleasure and pain. I mean, they seem to be natural and inescapable. But some polarities are like uh, rival. Uh, their rival opposites, where they're they're warring over the same territory. Uh, in a sense, um, good and evil might be th this way. Uh, cruelty and kindness might be, in a sense, conflicting. I think that the idea of that there must need to be an opposition in all things, and that all things are a compound in one, embrace both of those. They, they, it embraces the concept of complementary uh, opposites and rival opposites. Uh, I think it's at a higher level of ab abstraction. And, and I do think that, you know, you mentioned black and white. Well, between black and white, there's the whole rainbow of colors and, and there are... So why are black and white important then if there's the whole rainbow of colors? Well, I think because they, def they, in a sense, help us to define the extremes and we have to then be sure that we don't eradicate the, the middle ground, which is a vast middle ground. Like I tried to say, between the North Pole and the South Pole, the whole world exists in between those two poles, and to focus on one and the other solely in a simplified way excludes uh, the diversity that you were talking about. So we, we went, I think we bent over backwards to show that uh, in talking about male and female particularly, we were not saying that uh, somehow uh, the Western concept of heterosexual marriage uh, was somehow to be privileged. Uh, that's not our point. The point is that in every person we think there's a male and female principle, that these are in different degrees, they're in motion, they're dynamic, uh, that sexual attraction uh, is not necessarily to be confused with the biology of genitalia, which in itself can be confusing, 
if, if we look at the real, you know, at, at the real uh, biological realities, uh, I, I, we, we tend to oversimplify. And I think nature is not simple. And our theology should not be simple-minded. It should not reduce to we're right and everybody else is wrong, or the first national anthem, which is to hell with everybody else except for Cave 17. I think somebody once said that was the first national anthem. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, is, is just bad thinking. It's well, and, and so I want to expand on that. One of the problems with um, this notion of duality or polarity compound in one is that it can lead to a false complementarity. So even the term complementary, where you're trying to say, you know, well, we're trying to solve the problem of privileging one side of the, uh, the paradox over the other, so that you say that, you know, day is better than night or whatever, male is better than female, um, reason is better than intuition, any of, the, any of the, you know, kinds of things that we can come up with. Um, so we, we develop this idea of saying, well, complements doesn't mean that one is better, they're both necessary. But there's a problem there too, which a lot of feminist thinkers have pointed out, because complementarity has been used to promote this idea that women's roles are simply sort of a complement to males. So in other words, women shouldn't try to do the same kind of things that men do. Ah, I see. Yeah, because it's like, oh, well, the men's role as you know, the proclamation of the family of Mormonism says, is to preside, provide, and protect. And then the complement to that is to nurture, which is women's role. And so it's always that you're not whole on your own. You're not a whole person, but you have to complement the other. But it really is sort of a political move that is used to, on the one hand, complement. So we're talking about two kinds of complement here. The idea of complementarity is C-O-M-P-L-E, mm -hmm. right, complete, and the other one, complement, P-L-I, you know, where you're praising somebody. Mm -hmm. So they use this theory of complementarity in conservative religions to supposedly praise women that they have something to offer, right, oh, you're not going to do the same thing as the men do, but you have this complementary, this completing role, but really it's subordinate. It means you're not really kind of a whole person in and of yourselves. And that obviously, it seems to me, is really destructive. Oh, yeah. So I, I mean, guess the question to me is, well, if you think, you know, the notion of a compound in one or these, the, this kind of principle of duality is important, how do you get away from the negative aspect of it especially in regards to gender and sex. Well, I, I, I'm stunned that this idea that <laughs> I think is so good could be so perverted in the way that you have just described it, because I think that's just a simple uh, political perversion. But political... It's, it's long-standing. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that it, when I'm talking about complementary opposites, I mean like you know, the dark side of the earth when it's going, you know, it's revolving on its axis and the light side of the earth. You need both. If you had eternal day, we'd fry. If you have eternal night, we'd freeze. It, it, to me, male and female are essential in their tension. Uh, they're equal. I mean, they're equally important, equally dignified, equally valuable, just like, you know, the various states of matter are liquid, gas, solids. You know, you can't privilege one above the other. I'm talking about something that's 
unnatural. What you're talking about, I mean, this perversion is based on taking a natural state that, of nature and, and turning it into a metaphor and then somehow imposing upon it some cultural value which isn't really in the natural order of things. There's nothing in the natural order of things that would suggest that males are better than females or vice versa or that night is better than day or that rain is better than sunshine. It, it, there's nothing in the natural order of things that would privilege one above the other. But somehow when it gets transferred into a metaphor and then translated from there into a cultural value, then suddenly you can say well, what, what, more, what the Mormon apologist feminists say that I've listened to and I'm not going to name them on the tape, but you can look them up. And that is, uh, they're saying what you're saying, which I think is is really a, a denigration of women's power in, f in favor of male privilege. Well, of course, one of the problems we have here is deciding what's natural, right? I mean, we perceive the whole world through um, our language systems, through cultural constructs. So what you're talking about, I mean, it becomes more than a metaphor. It becomes a whole way of structuring society. And of course, this is, you know, millennial, you know, it's old, very old, thousands of years old, uh -huh. right? That we have this, I mean, the Greeks use these kinds of metaphors to talk about gender issues. And so it seems like the only way to get rid of the problem is to destroy the issue of complementarity. I see. Because, I mean, if you think about it, okay, if you say, well, if you're talking nature, then maybe the only thing you can say that is, you know, different, it has to do with genitalia and the whole reproduction process. Now, I mean, that's not insignificant, right? Well, there's chromosomes. There's chromosomes, too, and in fact, in terms of gender theory, there's a lot of discussion, there's a term that now has come up, it's, it's been around for decades, but they talk about intersexuality, hmm. the notion that when we're talking about a person's sex, it isn't just the genitals, but your chromosomes, it's your, um, there, there are many aspects to it that make up, you know, your sexuality. Mm -hmm. And, and that for many people, it's a mixture of these things. It's not just simply, you know, male or female, but there is this intersexuality. Now, it's probably not a huge portion of the popularity that have it strongly, but Pop still, popular. the popularity of the population <laughs> yeah. that have this. But still, it's important enough in terms of human rights to argue for acknowledging that there is, you know, there is something in between male and female, even biologically. Yeah, I would think that when we're talking about complementary opposites, we're talking about uh, poles that define a spectrum of possibilities, and that there's also things that lie uh, outside that spectrum, even as that we now know with the cosmos that there is much of the cosmos, if not 96% of it, that lies outside the electromagnetic spectrum. So uh, it isn't, it isn't a point, it isn't, in other words, this idea that I see in the Book of Mormon about uh, compound in one and there must needs to be opposition in all things is, is a point of departure. It's not, it's not to close the discussion, but to open up possibilities. I certainly understand what you're telling me, that feminist theory raises warning flags and they're very well taken points that people have used these to demean women and to privilege men and to create cultures where that is institutionalized. I certainly agree with that. Nevertheless, there is something about the, na the, the nature of the cosmos that, that seems to speak to us in terms of uh, inescapable polarities. 
the fact that they can be used to both punish and demean is, is I think, a human, it's sin. You make old-fashioned term, <laughs> but it seems to me to be plain sinful to do that. Well, but my question to you, Paul, is if, if there can be these distortions, especially in terms of um, you know, the way that society functions that have privileged the white, the white heterosexual male, right? Yeah. If that can happen, then why even focus on complementarity? Why not get a, get, just do away with it? Because well, it, it seems like it can just cause all kinds of problems. And I mean, there is again this problem between, you know, well, what is natural and what are simply these cultural constructs that we have to define how we're going to interact. So why I, not get away with it? I'm sorry. Well, no, that's a very yeah, good go question ahead. because I think the attempt was to get away with it by by positing God as a, an, a totally other, unreachable spiritual reality. But what did that do except privilege white males? I mean, androgyny doesn't really privilege women. It privileges non-sexuality. I mean, who really wants to do that? I mean, honestly, and say, you know, our, we should have um, asexuality and not, I mean, then you wind up punishing people who have sexual temperament and, and you, you privilege the Pelagians and you, you, you burden the uh, people like Augustine who, you know, liked sex until a certain point, I suppose, when he couldn't have it anymore, I, I don't really know. But the, the reality is that it seems like you can't escape the problem simply by positing an androgynous god or a, uh, an asexual god or a totally other god, because then that seems to privilege a form of inhumanity. Uh, an, a, a, you have an android, and then how do you connect with that? I, I think what I think that Joseph Smith tried to do in, in, in was to uh, put the physical world, the molecular world, uh, on an equal footing and say equally holy with the spiritual world and to make the body equally holy with the spirit and to say that the connection of the body and spirit create the soul. I think these were attempts to avoid privileging one over the other but saying that the necessity of both without obliterating diversity. I think it's a very difficult thing that he was trying to do, and I'm not sure that he was entirely conscious of the meaning of some of the things that he was saying, but I find in Mormon theology a great deal of richness because it does t attempt to grapple with the, the problem of the one and the many and the problem of simultaneity without privileging one or the other elements of the, of the spectrum. Well, even the example that you just used, which is actually one of the really old polarities, which is the division between spirit and matter, right? Mm -hmm. The notion of the transcendent world, which is the spiritual world where God lives, and then this physical world, which was seen as fallen in traditional you know, Christian theology, right? right? That has been a huge polarity in terms of how people have viewed the cosmos in the past. I think the tendency now is to go toward molecules, right? That rather than seeing this division, that the problem, the problems that were introduced by the notion of a spiritual realm, we've kind of gone because of the influence of science and other things to the notion that it's all the physical. Yeah, it's all molecules. Yeah, and so 
in a sense, you could say, well, is, is there any, you know, is there any value in introducing the spirit again, this tension between the spirit and the body, or maybe that there are this complementary opposites, which I think you were just saying that you see that as one of the values of Joseph Smith's theology, that he argues that the physical realm is just as important as the spiritual realm, and that they inter interrelate, that there's a way in which everything that is physical is really um, has a spiritual dimension to it, and vice versa, and yet they're still not exactly the same, even though they're not complete opposites, they're more of this complementarity. So, I don't know, are you arguing that that's actually a, 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 a good idea for the present world that we now live in? That has gone the other extreme, is sort of what I'm saying. Well, we to went to, side. when everything good was spiritual and other, now we're at the other side where we think everything is, you know, molecular, and where everything was once intuitive, now everything is rational. Where everything was once supernatural, now everything is nature. And it seems like this pendulum goes back and forth, and I guess what I'm arguing for is a balance of these extremes somehow, mm -hmm. that, that we, 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 we recognize that myth and history, molecules and soul, all have meaning for human beings and that we have to deal with that meaning. We never deal with the truth, we only deal with perceptions of truth, right. and then to unilaterally you know, dismiss as inferior some perceptions seems to me, you know, willy-nilly seems to be uh, a bad idea, even though it, we can show that some ideas of, of supernature have led to really big problems, but so have some ideas about nature. I mean, mm -hmm. on supernature, you get, you know, the, the idea of uh, predestination or, you know, Calvinism, that kind of thing. People are mm -hmm. preordained to go to hell. On the other side, you've got eugenics coming out of, you know, the molecular biology or even evolution. Some people jump to the conclusion of a kind of social evolution or Spencerian, you know, survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And you, you say, well, yeah, we can get rid of inferior uh, tribes, you know, that's evil, you know, I can see evil coming out of both. I think there's less evil if there's a struggle to kind of bring these things together and see that an over, that these, these ideas do not necessarily uh, bring us to a proper ethic, but our ethic has to, to, to deal with the whole. The deal with the whole. So if we go back to that scripture from Second Nephi, it postulates that this necessity of opposition in all things, where things are compound in one, that if this were not true, that neither goodness nor anything could be brought to yeah. pass, and which is kind of a startling statement, and I think it goes back to the question I posited to you. It says you. God would be not. God would not exist. The universe would not exist. The cosmos would not exist unless there was an interplay of some kind among Opposites. And so it's seen as a life-giving principle. Yeah. So here maybe we're back almost to the notion of, if you're talking male and female, it's the, it's, you can see it as a symbol of producing new life, that you need an interplay of things that are different. So maybe really what we're talking about here is a principle of difference, mm -hmm. that, that reality is constructed in a way that you have to have the interplay of difference in order to create life and meaning. I think it's interesting that in terms of language systems, uh, I mean, this was 
developed by um, some of the, uh, the early structuralists that were talking about how language works. But if you think about it, language works on the basis, well, I would argue both difference and sameness, that you create meaning through differentiating sounds, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between B and P is really only that one is voiced and one isn't, and yet those little differences in sounds are the thing that creates the ability to produce a language system. And, and anything in language is produced on difference. I see. On the other hand, you also need sameness. I mean, if you think about the fact that, I mean, you need kind of, you need generalities in language too. So you need both difference, but you also need sameness because without sameness... You can't categorize. No, you can't categorize. So, I mean, this goes back to why do we need to have categories at all? Well, with language, if you had to have a different word for every single object in the universe and a different word for every action, you know, rather than saying this is running and that's running and that's running and that's a chair and that's a chair and that's a chair, without the ability to create categories, which is really generalizations, mm -hmm. then you also couldn't have language or communication or the expression of meaning. So to me, those are actually difference and sameness are also two of these principles that are important for life to go on. Um, and maybe even if we go back to the issue of gender, this could be an important one, that we need both attraction of difference, but also of sameness, that like cleaves to like, like which is another Mormon scripture. Yeah, and I think right now, um, uh, this, this, you know, the, the gay rights movement in the, in the United States, which really, comes about the same period of time in the late 20th century for uh, women's rights. It's very interesting that it seems like uh, this, uh, all of which was in the closet about women's needs and men's and women's needs of like attractions, comes out, uh, people resist it because it, it is an assault upon the culture, but only to the extent that the culture seems to have been in a state of denial about these things, and and a certain maybe even in a state of amnesia about these things, and it, it is a call to the churches and to the the, the, the states to recognize that uh, individuals have more are more complex than the general categories of both states and churches have been willing to acknowledge, and this creates a great deal of frustration for people, but in reality, ultimately, these realities cannot be denied. They, they will surface one way or another. And I think in the LDS Church, I think one of its most, one of its worst decisions of its leaders has been to, uh, to oppose women's rights, to oppose gay rights and gay marriage, to oppose these things as if they, they were sins when they are not, and uh, then back away from that, and then just oppose them for some arguments that don't hold up. I think it's been very short-sighted, uh, whereas if you look at the foundational principles of, of Christ's teachings, there really is no, I, I think, justification for that kind of, um, that kind of assault on, uh, on those likes and dislikes. Well, and maybe we can summarize the purpose of our discussion here as, on the one hand, you and I are both 
liberal theologians who want to see expansion of um, categories. But at the same time, we see a lot that's valuable in Mormonism and Mormon scripture. And this idea that we're talking about a compound in one, although it can be used in destructive ways, to just simply, in an unthinking manner, to dismiss anything about it without thinking about the sort of deeper, either both metaphysical, but I would also argue physical issues relating to polarities, binaries, however you want to define them, is a mistake. I mean, I feel like that what I see so much is that when a problem arises, we immediately just want to run away from the complexity and come up with a simple answer, which often means rejecting things. Mm -hmm. And I like much more the principle of expanding our knowledge of things mm -hmm. and thinking about them and dealing with the diversity and complexity. I agree. Uh, I, I will end my piece here. You can end it however you want. And that is, I. I I think about my left hand and my right hand, and, and in some ways they're the same, and in some ways they're opposite. And that, to me, summarizes this idea of the of the one and the many, the, the simultaneity. They're both they're both simultaneously the same, and they're simultaneously opposite, and they work together. And without both of them, it would be very hard for me to accomplish anything or to create anything. And I, that's not to say that people that are only one-handed or one-armed can't accomplish things. <laughs> you weren't speaking against the disabled. <laughs> no, I wasn't. But I'm just saying that that's a metaphor for... We can always make any, turn anything into a disaster, disaster right? right. You can, but, but no, I agree. I mean, it is hands are such an interesting example of this because you're right. The, they're, they're, they're peculiarly I mean, they're, they're opposite. Peculiar, and peculiarly the same. And, and it's the very fact that they're the mirror of each other that makes them so functional yeah. in terms of what we want to do. And I guess we could argue the same thing with two lips, right? That's true. Upper and lower. <laughs> the upper and lower. <laughs> Rather than yours and mine. Well, I think that could be true, too. <laughs> our, our four lips better than two. <laughs> our four lips better than two. It could be true. Well, maybe we should end on that note. I think we better. Humor is always good. <laughs>